All righty, sorry. <laughs> Man, there's a lot of you. It's good to see everybody. Well, welcome to 24 Church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. I am uh, really excited to sit under the authority of God's Word with you this morning, for us to learn uh, from Him, whatever He might say to us. We're going to be in Acts 2, uh, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring yours, I uh, forgot it, uh, or maybe you don't own one, if you want to raise your hand, our ushers will be glad to provide you one. Uh, the words are going to be on the screen as well, but if you want to hold a physical copy of God's Word, we love that, uh, and we'd love to, to give you one. Just hold your hand up, and, uh, and they'll hand you one. And uh, if for some reason you don't own a Bible, or maybe you have a translation that you find very hard to, to understand, we'd love for you to keep this one. Take it home, uh, read it, and use it. Um, as I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Now, we've been in this series on the life of Peter, right? And we've been looking through all these stories in the Bible that have to do with Peter. And Peter was one of the 12 apostles, one of Jesus' core guys. And he was uh, one of the main leaders, if not the main leader, of the New Testament church. And we love Peter uh, because he's kind of a bonehead at times. He kind of speaks before he thinks. Uh, which I'm, I'm very guilty of that. I'm a verbal processor. So oftentimes, like, things are just coming out of my mouth, and then I'm realizing what I'm saying. Uh, and so I can relate to Peter in that regard. Uh, but God used him mightily. And so it's just been so good uh, to, to think through his life and to walk through his life and to see how God used Peter. And we're going to see today how he used him on the day of Pentecost. So before we jump in and read, let's go ahead and pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Father, we're gathered here today because we love you. And even more importantly, Father, you love us. The Bible says that we love you because you first loved us. And so, Lord, I pray as we dig into your word, I pray that you would do all the things to our hearts and our minds that need to happen right now. Lord, some of us just desperately need to be reminded that you love us. Others of us are, are confused about maybe a decision that's coming up. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us in such a way that we know what we need to do. Lord, there are people here are hurting. I pray that you comfort them. Lord, there's so many things going on, and only you're capable of meeting us right where we are and helping us. And so I just pray that you would do all that stuff. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to understand your word today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts 2, now, uh, you know, I'm very tempted to read the whole chapter. We're still going to read a lot of it, which is, it's a whole lot. Um, but, uh, but I just feel like we need to get this whole story in our minds to understand fully what's going on. So we're going to skip a little bit in the middle, but we're going to get the majority of this chapter, this day of Pentecost. So read with me, if you would, beginning at verse 1 in Acts 2. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound... The multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging uh, to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes would have been people that had converted to Judaism but weren't necessarily ethnically Jews. All these people together hearing this tongue speech. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That would have been 9 a.m. It's, it's 9 a.m. No one's drunk. That's not what's going on. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter continues to preach. We're not going to read the rest of his sermon for time's sake, but at the end, this is what happens. So if you skip down to verse 37, it says this. It says, now, when they heard this, they heard the message that Peter preached They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We see essentially the birth of the New Testament church. Now, one of the more perplexing things that Jesus ever said said a lot of perplexing things, was in John 16, 7, it's recorded there, and it says, Jesus says this, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I don't know about you, I think if we took a poll and we asked the average Christian, hey, which would you prefer? Would you rather walk with Jesus and hear him teach and see him do miracles, and eat supper with him, and hang out with him, and him be your homeboy, or, that's option one, or option two, 
you get the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Which do you prefer? And I think almost all of us would say, I'll go with option A. That seems more like, how could I not have faith if I was hanging out with Jesus? Like I would love to see him and walk with him and be with him. And yet, and I don't even claim to completely understand Jesus. He says, it's actually to your advantage that I go to heaven. Because you're going to get the spirit. You're going to get the helper. You need the helper. And so my question this morning, my, my simple question is just, as we browse through Acts 2, and, and this is like eight sermons, okay? We're, we're going to try to do one. But as, as we go through Acts 2, what, why does the Holy Spirit matter? That's what I want to, that's what I want you to kind of ask in your mind. Like, why does the Holy Spirit matter? And specifically, like, why does he matter to you? How is he active in your life? Does it even matter? I'm reminded, like when I think about what Jesus said in John 16, I'm reminded like Star Wars and New Hope. I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek. But Obi-Wan Kenobi's fighting Darth Vader, you remember? And he says, if you strike me down now, I'm going to become more powerful than you could ever imagine. And I feel like that's kind of what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's like, if I'm struck down by the cross, and I resurrect, and I go to heaven, and I send the Spirit, it's going to be more powerful than you could ever imagine. Do we feel that power? I confess many times I feel like I don't feel that power. But Paul, Paul told the Corinthians, he says, this is, this is the method of my ministry. He said, I, when I was with you, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said later, he said, I'm about to revisit Corinth if the Lord wills, because some people have come into your midst and are causing problems. He said, and I'm going to see if they're just all talk or if they have some power from the spirit. Because that's what it's about. So how do we see Spirit work and power. I just want you to notice the first thing, and we really have to go back to chapter one to see this, but it's that they're waiting. The Holy Spirit is working through their prayerful waiting. So, so they, they meet with Jesus, and he, for 40 days after he resurrects, he meets with them off and on. He seems to, it, it's very mysterious. He, he will appear out of nowhere and be with them, and then he will disappear. He will be with them, and they will not realize it's Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, it's Jesus. And it says throughout in the, in the New Testament, it tells us throughout those 40 days before he ascended into heaven, he's teaching them, and he's with them. And so they're with him this last time, and they're up on the mountain, and he ascends to heaven, and they're all just looking in the sky, and like... And the angel has to kind of go, guys, remember, he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. This is actually what it says in Acts 1, 4, and 5. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's essentially saying, I need you guys after I ascend. And they're still looking. The angel's like, go, guys, get, get the move on. He's going to come again. 
Go to Jerusalem, wait. And it's like Jesus saying, don't do anything until you have power from on high. You're, you're going to need that. Which is totally mysterious. And I'm sure after everything they've been through, right? They walked with him for three years. Then he died and they thought it was all over. And they ran because they were scared that they were going to die. And then, oh, Jesus is back alive from the grave. And he said that, but somehow it, we never understood it until it happened. And now he's taught us and we believe that he's the Messiah. And he ascended to heaven. And now he says, go and wait. That's probably hard. And maybe you're in a season where you don't really know what God's telling you to do. You're just waiting. And that's okay. You know, are, are we seeking to listen to the voice of God and wait for His power and His direction? Because we are powerless on our own. Are we praying with open ears? Are we praying not just with our words, but sometimes with silence while we seek to listen what God is saying back to us? There's power in that. We need that. Secondly, I want, to see, I want you to see how the Holy Spirit empowers their mission, right? So this is kind of the biggie point. But I, I learned some things in studying to this that had never completely dawned on me that are huge. I learned them from Tim Keller, of course. But let's look again and see what happens here in the beginning. It says, when the day of Pentecost, right, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting in divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Several things I want to point out quickly in that. Number one, they hear a sound like wind. It doesn't say that it's wind, but it sounds like wind. The word for spirit, pneuma, in the Greek is actually can be translated wind. So Holy Spirit's often associated with wind. So they hear the sound of something like wind. Okay, and then fire, fire's also regularly a symbol of God in the Bible. Think of the burning bush. Or think of uh, Abraham when, he, when God makes the covenant with him and God appears as a smoking uh, vessel and a firebrand and walks through the, the animal pieces in this covenant thing. God's there's fire. God's there's fire in the burning bush. So now God, they hear wind and, and, or something like wind and then fire, this must have been freaky, comes and it rests on them and it doesn't just rest on the 12 did you notice that it rests on all of them we know from chapter one we didn't read it but we know that it's the 11 because judas betrayed jesus and committed suicide and then they replaced him with matthias so there's 12 again and then it says and the, the church at that point there's all the women that followed and ministered to jesus so his his mother and mary magdalene and and there's a bunch of Marys, and all kinds of women, and, and there's other disciples, like disciples of his as well, because anybody that's a follower of Jesus is a disciple, and it says there's about 120. So that's the church at this point, and the 120 are praying, they're waiting, because that's what Jesus said to do. And they're perplexed by it, but they're doing it. Whew, sounds like wind, fire, rests on all of them. 
And they begin to speak in other languages. And we, we could go into several sermons alone just on like tongues, like what is going on here. I do want to dispel this mystery for you. I think it'll help you. Regardless of, there's a couple places in the Bible where tongues is mentioned. It's mentioned like two or three times at least in Acts. And then Paul talks about it a lot in 1 Corinthians. And they seem to be slightly different things. That's what makes the most sense to me. What Paul's talking about, he says, if there's tongues in a worship gathering, those need to be interpreted. Otherwise, you need to not speak in the tongues. And that, my best guess is those are actually like unknown languages, maybe angelic languages. And that's why they need the interpreter. It's completely mysterious. And Paul says, this is of no benefit to the congregation if you don't have somebody interpret these tongues. So it may be a prophecy in tongues, but if no one's there who can, by the supernatural power of God, interpret this unknown language, then keep your mouth shut, pray on your own. But what's going on, regardless of if you agree with my interpretation of that or not, stay with me. Acts 2, these are definitely known languages. That's the whole point. So what's going on in the day of Pentecost is, they begin to prophesy and praise. And I, I picture this kind of like, like Mary and the Magnificent. You know, God reveals to her, you're going to be the, the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. And she like kicks off into like a poem out of nowhere. She's like, praise be to God that he would bestow on me this great gift as his humble. It's, it's like almost like, you know, praise out of nowhere. That's probably what's going on. They're praising. It says they're talking about the mighty things of God. They're talking about Jesus. They're praising Jesus. This group just begins to speak in all these languages that are known. Uh, these people that are present, you know, what does it say? Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. They begin to speak in all of their languages and declare the mighty things of God. And there's no interpreter needed because those people understand because that's their heart language. Now, what's going on here? This is Pentecost. Pentecost existed before the Holy Spirit dropped, okay? It was a festival. 50 days after the Passover, people, Jews from all over the world would descend on Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost together. So they're there in town for a festival. Remember, the Jews had been scattered because Israel in the Old Testament had been invaded and defeated because they had broken God's covenant. God had allowed them to be defeated and scattered. Later on, the temples rebuilt, the walls rebuilt. But at this time, they're under Roman rule. So Rome's in charge, but there is a temple. And there are a lot of Jews in Jerusalem, but there's also a lot of Jews scattered all over the known world. And they make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, because it's one of their festivals. So that's why they're all there. And they all speak Greek and Aramaic, but their heart language, the language they were raised with, what they speak at home is all these other languages. That's their main language. So they're in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, the Spirit falls, and Jesus' disciples begin to speak in other languages and proclaim the gospel to these people in their language. And it says, there's two responses. We are highly perplexed, and are these people drunk? Like, what is going on? They're amazed, perplexed, totally confused. Now, this is what's amazing, that I had never 
fully realized, right? It's kind of a long quote from Tim Keller. And he says this. He says, when the gospel was first preached to the world, it was preached in every language at once. Do you know the significance of that? I don't think we've actually come to grips with how significant it is. By deliberate miracle, God made sure that there was no language and therefore no culture, because language is the bearer of culture, no language and no culture has precedence over any other in the Christian faith. There's no culture that has pride of place. There's no language or culture that everybody can say, ah, but but that's the original. And everything else sort of comes in and it's secondary. No, it was all done at once. And he says, do you know what that means? And then he gives a couple examples here. He quotes this guy named Laman Sane, who was a professor, an African professor of religion, I think, at Yale Divinity. And Laman Sane says, he says, um, he's written two books. And in those books, he talks about some important ideas, and Tim talks about them. He says, he says, in translating the message, that's one of the books, he said, he points out something that's pretty well known. He says, in the case of Muslims, and Laman Sane was a Muslim previously before he became a Christian. He says, Muslims will tell you that the Quran cannot really be translated. You say, what do you mean? Surely you can get Quran in English. Yeah, you can. But usually on the cover page, it will tell you that it's a translation or an explanation of the Quran. They don't consider it the real Quran. On, only the real Quran is in Arabic. And, and it's Islam and Sinai points out, and he used to be a Muslim, so he knows what he's talking about, that as far as Muslims are concerned, God speaks Arabic. All the original revelation was in Arabic. All the original communication of Islam to the world is in Arabic. And therefore, if you want to hear God's word, you must hear it or read it in Arabic. All of their translations are not really translations. It's not really God's word. It's just kind of a, a derivative or an explanation. And Lama Sinai says Christianity, because of Pentecost, is totally different. You tracking with me here? We do believe the word of God can be translated. If you have a Chinese Bible or an English Bible, that is the word of God to you in your language. And there's more to it than that. Lama Sinai says that there's, in Islam again, there's a unified Islamic culture. So wherever Islam goes, it tends to make everything Islamic. So wherever it travels around the world, that culture becomes a new culture. It becomes an Islamic culture. But when Christianity goes into other cultures, it doesn't turn them all into to monoculture. It goes in, and I'm going to say it the way Tim said, so don't screw it up. He says, he says this. He says, if, if, if you're Chinese and you become a Christian, he said, you're lifted out of your culture to a degree. He says, the, the gospel is a powerful story. And if you're African, same thing. You're lifted out of your culture to a degree. The gospel tells you about a man who died for his enemies. It tells you that he did so by giving up power and giving up riches to save us. He calls us to love God and love our neighbor. And, and when you become a Christian, it takes you a little bit out of your culture because every culture to some degree is judged by the gospel. And you're actually, as a Christian, you're given 
perspective as a Christian, whatever culture you're in, you see the excesses of your culture. You see, you begin to see problems in your culture, tendencies in your culture that you didn't see before because the gospel lifted you out your culture a little bit, but it also honors your culture and it doesn't lift you completely out of your culture. And so Christianity actually is the most diverse religion in the, in the world. No other religion really does this. They tend to want to say, everybody's got to be this way now. But Christianity goes into Africa and there's African Christians. They maintain their Africanness even as the gospel transforms them. It comes into America and we remain Americans, but it does transform us. It goes into China and it does lift them a little bit out of their culture, but it honors their culture at the same time. It upholds the good parts of their culture. doesn't try to make them non-Chinese. If, if you're Chinese and you become a Christian, you don't suddenly become a European. You're a Chinese Christian. At Pentecost, the gospel's preached to every language at once because God has always been on a mission to gather for himself people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation for his glory. And he is a diverse, multicultural God. And that's beautiful. Christianity really alone does this. We could keep beating this horse because it's really, but Tim says it better. Just come ask me. I'll point you to the, 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 <laughs> the place online where you can listen to it. But this is huge. Now, now here's how it really affects the spirit. Um, the Spirit's driving them into that sort of mission. They never would have picked that on their own. Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. That must have freaked them out. They hated the Samaritans for starters. And yet Jesus kept saying, I'm sending you out. And then here the Spirit now empowers their mission and sends them where they probably would not have gone or to speak to people whom they probably would not have spoken to. And I just have this question for us. How, how is, I mean, even what we're doing right now, right? Just straight up at 24, most of you know, we're, we're seeking to open this Hope Center to help people that are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction and to point them towards Jesus and help them get whole and healthy. That was God's idea. I mean, God gave Chris a prophetic dream about it. We didn't come up with that. Why? Because that's the Spirit's work. And so my question for us is, where's the Spirit? Lead? He's leading us all on mission. We're all missionaries. As the Father sent me, Jesus says, so I'm sending you. So we're all missionaries. He's all sending us somewhere. Who's he sending you to? Maybe he's sending you somewhere where you didn't think you were going to go. You would have never chosen that on your own. Are you listening? Are you willing to be moved? Okay. Thirdly, um, man, I got so much. I'm skipping a lot. And I'm just going to touch on this briefly. But thirdly, in Peter's sermon, what else does the Spirit do? Like, we, we need to listen for him and wait for him. Okay? And then he sends us out on mission, and sometimes a mission in ways that we didn't think we'd go. And then thirdly, he helps us to understand the Scriptures. When, when Peter gets up to preach, he actually quotes three different places in the Old Testament. He quotes um, Joel, prophet Joel, right? And then he quotes, he, he quotes David in two different places in the Psalms. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He, he, knew, he was also a Jew. He would have known the Old Testament to a certain degree, and certainly Jesus taught him a lot. But my contention to you is here, I mean, 
this is real recent for Peter. Like he had confessed, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah. But then Jesus said, I need to die. And he said, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter's slow to the, the uptake here. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> now on the day of Pentecost, he has deep insight. Like they speak in tongues and he goes, this is the prophet Joel. And then later on, the part we didn't read, he goes, that's from David in Psalms. And this is also from David in Psalms. And it's like, pew, 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 in his head, just like firecrackers going off. Because what is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does? He helps us to understand the scriptures. You and I are incapable, doesn't matter how smart we are or aren't. You and I are incapable of grasping everything that's going on in the scriptures without the Holy Spirit's help. Unbelievers who don't have the Spirit, and they may be brilliant, like secular scholars that study the Bible as a document but not as God's Word, are incapable of fully understanding what's going on without the Holy Spirit. That's why they don't get it. And I don't say that arrogantly because we're all in that boat, right? When we sit down to read this, we need to ask God, would you open my mind to understand this? Or even when you hit a roadblock, you go, God, I don't understand that. I do that all the time. What, what is that about? I'll write it down. I don't understand what you mean by this God. <laughs> or I'm really bothered by this Jesus. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Did you really say that? What in the world does this mean? How could this possibly be true? I write down all kinds of stuff like that. But often as I begin to meditate on it and ask God for help, he's, he's pretty overjoyed to answer me. And I begin to get understanding. And I would just say to you, like memorization, that's especially helpful because it's like you store God's word, you hide God's word in your heart. And then when you're reading this over here, like the spirit grabs what you stored in from over here and you're like, oh. And, and I just want to encourage you, like memorize this, read it and ask for help and dig in because that's how Peter was able to do so much of what he did and have all the understanding that he had is because he was reading it. Yes, he was thinking about it, but also the Spirit was empowering him as he, as he sowed the seeds of, of reading God's Word and spending time in God's Word. Okay, and then the fourth thing, the last thing, is that the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. You see that? Right there at the end, that part, we skipped over some, came back to the end. Peter says in 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know, this is the end of his sermon, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It was not Peter's eloquent speaking that cut them to the heart. You know this if you've become a Christian because it is so mysterious. You can have heard the gospel a hundred times, but then there is a moment when the Holy Spirit goes, 
grabs your heart. And you're like, oh, I need Jesus. Like, I need him. I didn't even see myself as sinful. Or maybe a little bit. But now I'm like, woe is me. And I need the forgiveness that only he can offer. And so sometimes we're talking to people. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. We're talking to people in our life and they're very important to us. And we're, we're trying to maybe convince them of something spiritually or convince them of their need of Jesus. And we've been faithful to tell them the gospel. And it's just like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you're going, come on. Like, I've... My argument's better than your argument. Are you going to be a moron? Come on, like jump on, you know, and, you, and if you're like me, you're very A-type, you're almost angry. You're like, come on. I don't have any power. It's all in the Holy Spirit. He has to change their heart. I'm doing my part to faithfully explain, but my, my main agenda ought to be prayerful pleading with God to reach that person and change them. Because my, my bearing witness is very important, but that's not the change. The change is when the Holy Spirit makes the change happen. Paul explains this in, in Romans 10 really clearly. He says, he says now, so, so hear me. We have to bear witness. All of us should know how to explain the gospel and be able to tell our story to people who have questions. All of us should be able to for followers of Jesus. Because Romans 10 says, how shall they preach? unless there's a preacher and how shall he preach unless he's sent so how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news so all of us are to be good news bringers but but then the holy spirit as we bring the news the holy spirit has to enter in and make that real to their heart so that they're saved and in this instance many were because it says they were cut to the heart by the spirit and so what do we need to do? And this is how you respond. And if you're here this morning and God's cutting you to the heart, and I pray that he is, whether it be some conviction of sin or maybe you don't know him and you need to know him, how do you respond? Peter says this is how you respond. You respond by repentance and faith. He says in this, repent and be baptized. Because baptism was the way they expressed their faith in the New Testament. You're joining Team Jesus, you believe, you're repenting of your sin, you're like, I'm in, let's get baptized. The baptism itself didn't save them, but it was the picture of what God was doing spiritually. And I know that, I'm not making this up. I know that because it says at the end of the chapter, it says, or at the end of this section, verse 40, many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. So they've received the word. They've expressed faith in what Peter has preached to them. I've said, I'm repent repenting means I changed my mind about how I've been living my life. I can't do this on my own. And I'm placing faith now completely in Jesus and everything he's done for me because I need everything he's done for me and nothing that I can do for myself. Repentance and faith. So I'm going to get baptized because I believe. The Holy Spirit's cut me in the heart, and I believe, and I want Jesus. I need Jesus. That happened to me when I was about seven. Went home from church one day, raised in church, heard the gospel a lot. 
Got home from church one day. I don't have a clue what happened that morning or what was said. Holy Spirit's dealing with me. All of a sudden, I'm aware of my sin in a new way. And I know the answer is Jesus. And there was actually a moment of wrestling there as a seven-year-old. I don't know if I want to do that. But Jesus won. And I asked him to come into my life and change me and forgive me, and he did. Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Scriptures. He saves us. He sends us out on mission, and sometimes missions we wouldn't choose. And he, he says, wait for me. You need me. You need me. I'm the power, not you. How's he at work in your life? And have you ever believed the gospel and been saved? In 2023, it almost sounds like something from an era ago. But people are still being saved. And you could be saved today. I want to encourage you as we begin to worship here in a minute. If God's dealing with your heart, I'm going to be out in the lobby. Chris is going to be out in the lobby. Please come talk to us about salvation. You, today, you could ask God to come into your life and save you. He would save you. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it teaches us and challenges us and draws us near to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would move through our midst. I pray today, oh Father, that you would draw people to yourself and that you would save some who are here with us. They could get baptized at Plunge. Lord, you're in the life transformation business. You're, you're in the taking us off of our own agenda and putting us on a God agenda business. And I, I pray that you would do that. Lord, help us as we worship, sing, to lift you high. Lord, would you move in our hearts? We pray all these things in Jesus' name.